If you're looking to test your endurance, I have an idea. There's a race out there that requires you to run. You're climbing, I think, at least 700 vert. You go right up over a ledge. Kayak. And then you hop on the Saco. You kayak for 4.8 miles. Bike. Bike back up that hill you ran over in the reverse direction. Another 16 miles and change. Hike. Then you have to run up to the, the bowl of Tuckerman Ravine. And ski your way to the finish. And we had a GS course set, so we'd lap that twice. Any interest? And that was it. <laughs> hey there, you're listening to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. This is Mountain Meister, and I'm your host, Ben Shank. Something that surprises a lot of people when they hear that I run a podcast with hikers and runners and climbers and all sorts of adventure athletes is that, in fact, my favorite sport is tennis. I play as much as I can, and I'm pretty confident in my ability, but the other day, I went to a Harvard versus Yale tennis match, and it was a perfect reminder of how many people out there are actually better than I am. It was a very similar feeling a couple of weeks ago when I ran the Tuckerman Inferno pentathlon, and in fact, I ran one leg of that race, the running portion. It was 8.3 miles, and my teammates took up the other legs, the kayak, bike, hike, and ski. When I looked at the results, I saw that the person who did the entire race by himself did the running leg four minutes faster than I did mine. And then he went on to finish the race in three hours and 53 minutes, which was 30 minutes faster than our entire team. That man is Andrew Drummond, and he joins us today on Mountain Meister. Thanks, Andrew, for joining us. Hey, thanks, man. All of us were pretty sore after that Saturday. How did you feel? You know, I I thought that I was going to be okay. I actually did an extra little ski lap <laughs> after the race. and uh, But Sunday, you know, actually Saturday night, going down the stairs was was seriously painful. It so was I, I was feeling it. Um, I was feeling it Sunday. So let's just talk a little bit about what it is. Uh, 8.3 miles on the run. That's the part that I was familiar with. Can you talk about uh, just the the length and where the race goes with the kayak, bike, hike, and uh, ski? Sure. Well, yeah. And in, in, in that run, you're you're climbing, I think, at least 700 vert. You go right up over a ledge, mm-hmm. Glen Ledge, um, and into some pretty stiff headwinds. But it goes up Route 302 towards Atatash Bear Peak, and then you hop on the Saco. You kayak for probably about, you know, my, I always measured at around 4.8 miles. The old course was a little different. Um, and then once you get out of your kayak, you bike back up that hill you ran over in the reverse direction and up to Pinkham Notch, which is another 16 miles and change. And then when you get to um, Pinkham Notch Visitor Center, uh, then you have to run up to the, the bowl of Tuckerman Ravine, which is another three miles. Um, and then you, this year we boot packed up about 350 feet, um, to the base of left gully. Um, and we had a GS course set, so we'd lap that twice and that was it. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. (laughs) So yeah. and, And the vertical that we're accumulating throughout the whole day adds up. At least, like, I don't know, 5,000 or something. Yeah, the bike especially. I mean, I, I'm not a cyclist by any means, or I don't consider myself one. And that just seemed brutal. Russell, who used to host the podcast um, Mountain Meister with me, 
did the bike portion and he, he struggled. Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, that, that climb, it, it, it's deceiving because there'll be moments where it doesn't look that steep and you're in the single digits, you know, it's a combination of potentially like a headwind, but that grade, it's sneaky. So with five legs, uh, that you have to do, how much preparation goes in just like the day before the race, getting everything set up? Yeah, it's, it's a, you know, I did it last year was the first year I did it. And I thought with all that experience and logistics and setting up, I'd have everything dialed. And then, you know, this year comes around, I had the whole day off and it was, it was chaos just as it was the year before. Uh, so it starts off with usually doing a trial run down the Saco and the kayak, because the last time I don't kayak ever. So the last time I kayaked was in the race last year. Wow. And so you need to like re-familiarize yourself with kayaking and, and just getting comfortable. I had a different boat. I borrowed from a friend, shout out to Nate Harvey. And, and you want to see what the water levels are doing because the Saco fluctuates so much with recent rains, it can go up and be fast or with no rain, um, it can be really low and then you're just getting stuck on rock. So it really helps. And it's an advantage to go the day before and preview the course and just have an idea of what to expect. And also just familiarize yourself with your gear again. Um, so that's the first thing is the whole deal of spotting a car and, and the logistics of just doing a run in the course the day before. And then, um, I like to leave my kayak there, the staging area the night before that way, the next morning I just bring out some of the gear you need, um, like your paddle and skirt mm-hmm. and bike helmet, gloves, jacket. And then, so that's, that's the night before is the kayaks there. But then after you get that done, then you got to go to registration, um, and then go home and just lay out all your gear. It's, it's so much gear to do five completely different events. Right. It's been a kayak, a bike, skis. There's so much gear. Yeah. I mean, you think you can just go to like a bike race and it's just, you know, you need your bike, your water bottle, your flat kit and a pump and helmet, glasses, gloves, bike shoes, you know, t- warm weather gear, your nutrition. And that's just one aspect, you know, Uh just multiply that by five. And that's pretty much what you're looking at for a race like this. So like the night before the kayak staging is, is the pain. And then, but then you just go come home and look at this big pile of gear and you you have to do, you just have to do some sorting and organizing and try to have it make sense. Um, because the next day the race starts at Mm 7am. So you don't have much time. And I heard, uh, so so you said you did it last year and Somebody in one of the years was actually late to the race, right? Yeah, Josh Flanagan was 10 minutes late. And he won. And he still won. <laughs> Very impressive. And yeah. well, you won the race last year, correct? Correct. And what did you learn from last year's race that you applied to this year's? Huh. Um, you know, it takes, the, the biggest takeaway is like you need to, not only do you need to be in, uh, really good physical condition, but you need a little bit of luck. You need to be healthy. You know, you, you can't have injuries or sicknesses. Um, and you really need to do your research. I mean, I love really, I, I just dug right into this event cause I thought it was so cool and prestigious being in the white mountains. There's not many competitions up here in the white mountains. And so I was like, I really wanted to do well. And so that meant from a multi multi-sport perspective is like really analyzing the gear you'd want, um, the transitions, how, like, how should you train for this stuff? And so, you know, obviously there's a lot of vertical, so any type of 
hiking, um, biking, skiing, you do just stacking vertical. So I would make sure to, to do like a couple big efforts, you know, the weeks leading into it. But then, you know, all winter working on my cycling on the trainer, you know, and then, you know, in the afternoon, maybe go for a run after, after the bike and just trying to really prep your body for a longer multi-sport effort. Um, it's not something that you can just prepare for a couple weeks before going into it and have a good race. It's something that's ongoing. So, um, I had this, I had this race in my mind as I was training the previous fall. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's a lot of work, but it's all things that I love to do. So it wasn't, it wasn't like work. It was fun. Yeah. I love to go skiing. I, I, you know, I really enjoy biking and, and running and being in the mountains. So I was able to do it relatively painlessly. You know, it wasn't that hard to motivate. It fit into your lifestyle. Certainly. Um, so uh, what I wanted to do here is uh, before our interview, I sent a text message to each of our participants on our team into thick air. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I like that name. You like that name? Thank you. There was some creative There were actually, I wanted to give a shout out to what I thought was the best name and that's feel the burn quads edition. I like that. (laughs) Did you have any other team names that you liked? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to look at it. <laughs> we'll have the link. There's always the there's always the good ones. The Mother Tuckers. <laughs> right, right. People get creative. We'll uh, we'll have the link to the race results and the names on uh, your Meister profile page. Um, but anyway, what I wanted to do, I sent a text to each of our participants and to see if they had a question for you, since you experienced each of the legs yourself. Um, so the first leg was the run. So this is my question: Is that I do a lot of running myself because I'm training for a marathon and I've been pretty consistently running for the past two to three years and I'm down to, I mean, for this race, I was at a seven minute pace to touch under. How long has it taken you to get into this sort of shape? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great question because I think a lot of runners struggle with plateauing and and trying to work on their speed and also what are their goal speeds and what, what should their goal speed be? And, you know, for me, I I didn't, I didn't come from a running endurance background. This is all stuff I picked up in the past couple of years. Um, Hmm. and so for me running, what I love about it is that you just keep getting, you, if you train right, you just keep getting faster and faster. And so one of my big goals was, you know, I'm a big guy, I'm 190 pounds. So I didn't really think that big guys could run fast, you know, and I had a friend that ran, you know, a marathon in maybe three hours, 10 minutes, and he was trying to break the three hour mark. And I just remember being like, wow, I could never do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start training and I did a 10 K and my goal for the 10 K was a sub 40 minute and I did it, you know, and then I'm like, now what? And then you keep changing your goals and adjusting it appropriately until you get to a certain point of what, you know, what's realistic and what level can I run at? But anyways, to get to your, uh, really answer your question is that you just had to break down your run training so that you run, um, faster than your goal pace. You know, you get your speed workouts in, you get your tempo workout where you run at your goal pace or slightly faster, and then you get a little longer run in. So you get that time in on your feet. Those three run, uh, workouts are, should be the core of your training and then the extra mileage you can do on top of that's great. But those quality efforts you put in, um, you'll see tremendous results in, in your speed. So for me, it, it was a long, year-long process, a couple of years building my mileage. But you're right. Like If you look at my time from last year in probably some 
easier running conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, I was probably like 15 seconds per mile slower. Wow. So it's, it's, it's taken consistency, which is tough because I do a lot of other sports, but really trying to base my cardio all on running because you can run anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So my recommendation for anyone looking to increase their, their running speed is to really focus on those three things. But, um, yeah, it's not easy, <laughs> but it it's something where like I look at, you know, it's a slow process. And yeah, when I look at some of my results, my results, when I got into road racing, they're really slow, but at the time they felt like for me yeah. so fast. And then watching, you know, if you told me that I'd be running, you know, this fast and, you know, six fifteen pace or something for this race, I would be like, no way. So, <laughs> so for you, for you, Ben, like your, whatever your marathon goal is, um, just realize like, you know, you'll probably hit that and then you're going to be like, oh, well, you know, I could run faster. That's very optimistic. Although I had a couple of training runs this past week that didn't go so hot. So I'm not feeling so confident going into this marathon, but we'll see. Maybe the adrenaline will hit. Wait, when is your marathon? Uh, May 15th. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, it's coming up, but yeah, still have a few long runs left. Okay. Onto the kayak, our kayaker or our paddler was Mike Frothingham, a.k.a. Frothy. And he wants to know, did your legs cramp in the kayak? <laughs> yeah, not horribly. Not I think last year they were pretty bad. Uh-huh. Um, I'm, a, I'm also 6'2", and crammed in a kayak is, is not comfortable at all, especially when it's cold and you're getting water down your skirt and you've just really pushed it on the run. So yeah, I could feel my calves cramp up a little bit. And what I tried to do in the kayak was, you know, move my legs out from under the, you know, the lip of the uh-huh. edges and, and try to just move them around a little bit just to make sure they didn't get too bad. But man, when, when you get out of that kayak for being in it, you know, anywhere between, you know, 35 to 45 minutes, it's like, you can't walk. Mm-hmm. Literally you get out and you, you're just stumbling. It's, I mean, I can imagine, can't imagine what it was like for all of the spectators at that transition just to watch people just fall out of the kayak. It's so funny that you say that uh, because I was the one that was helping Frothy because the kayak was after the run. So I was helping or meeting him at the shoreline to help him go to Russell who was doing the bike. And I see everybody getting out of their kayaks and I'm, it's like a 200 yard run to the bike. And I figure you might as well sprint this just to finish strong and make the transition as fast as possible. And everybody's stumbling around. I didn't. I, I was so confused because, again, I'm not a, a big kayaker. So it was so funny to see people just like zigzagging, trying to make their way to the bike station. And so Frothy gets out of the boat. And I'm like, come on, dude, you got to get going, run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, that's just to like, prove the point. It's like you didn't, you didn't even have to do that eight-mile run to feel the pain. Right, right, like, exactly. And it, everyone, you know, a lot of people, there's people that uh, flipped their kayaks and went swimming and, and just had it way worse than I did. So I think, <laughs> you know, I was fortunate. But, yeah, you feel like a, a, a baby deer trying to walk right. the first time. And you, you mentioned that you were a big guy. Frothy, if I had to estimate, I think he'd be, I think he's 6'4", 250, if I had to guess. <laughs> yeah. He's a big dude. That's a Clydesdale. <laughs> There's a picture of him. We'll put that on your uh, Meister profile page as well. Uh, you have a write-up on your website, skithewhites.com, and you talked about having targets in the water and how that helped. I thought that was interesting. Can you talk about that? 
yeah, uh, you know, it's easy to get complacent in the kayak. You, you can almost treat it like a break because you've just run, you know, for 50 something mm-hmm. minutes at a pretty, pretty hard pace. And, and if you don't really, if you don't have, um, people in front of you, uh, it's hard to, hard to, um, get a feel for how fast you're going or, or that you're actually racing. So if there's a kayaker or something in front of you, it gives you a goal, someone to catch, um, it really helps. I don't know. Kayaking was definitely my weakness um, going into the race. You know, I don't get to kayak that much, and I don't really have the nicest kayak equipment. And um, you know, the, you don't really win the race in the kayak, but you can definitely lose it. So um, for me, it's just trying to find um, on the Saco. It's it's class two river, so there's there's rapids. You got a little water coming over the bow, and um, the goal is just to make it down smooth conserve energy and not get wet <laughs> so but yeah no it, there was only a couple people in front of me so it made it difficult this year um you know usually there's a few teams that that uh shoot out in front on the run and then i try to you know you can try to catch them on the river as it was the case in uh this race where the winning runner was uh, i think i wrote it down somewhere i think it was seven minutes faster than the second place person yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, Ryan place yeah. is a track star. So it, I couldn't believe it last. He ran last year and it blew my mind how fast he ran. He was running five Oh something pace. Oh, oh 700 God. vert. That's so, fast. Yeah. Moving on to the bike, Russell, uh, his question for you is when he got to the top, which I think he means the end of the race, he says his feet were frozen and he could hardly walk. What did your feel? What did your legs feel like when transitioning to the hike? Yeah, you know, um, I was my toes were tingling because um, I was using some triathlon shoes and I got these little toe booties for them, little toe covers, yeah. so that it would hopefully help with the the wind because triathlon shoes are vented um, uh-huh. just all across the toe, and so I got these little covers, but they seem to constrict my toes a little bit. And you're really, you know, just in in general in cycling, you're really kind of pushing on the ball of your foot and the toes can definitely get pinched in there. But yeah, some, yeah, my toes were my, the toe covers worked a little bit, but my toes were freezing and not only my toes, but my whole upper body coming out of the kayak. I just jumped on my bike and went, I didn't put, I didn't put anything on. I didn't change. I did get water, you know, my butt was wet and I was just like, just go, you'll warm up. Like it's the only time you're ever really wanting to hit the hills because you can warm up. Um, and then all the down, all the descents and stuff. Yeah. You're catching, you're, you're in the wind. And, um, but so I'll, all I thought was like, just make it to the top of Pinkham. Um, if you really need to, you can grab a jacket, but, um, the suffering on the bike, I was like, It'll be over. Everyone else, if I'm this cold, I'm kind of a big guy, then these other guys have to be freezing. So just deal with it. Yeah. And then at the transition, it wasn't that bad. I would say that kayak, that kayak transition was way, uh, way more awkward than the okay. transition to put on, put on the shoes. Last year, we um, actually skinned up the Tuckerman Ravine Trail. Uh-huh. And this, this year being a low snow year, um, I just put on my shoes. Um, so getting into my ski boots last year, I was cramping up uh, horrifically. And this year was it was much easier just slipping into some hiking, um, some trail shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that 
transitions nicely to Hannah's question. Hannah Van Wetter was our hiker, and she wants to know what was your strategy going up the trail because there were some flatter parts that you could run, but then there were also some kind of icier, steeper parts that at least when I went up, I tried to run up the trail and definitely had some difficulty running up those. Yeah, so I'd spent, um, you know, the past few weeks I'd, I'd been going up to Tuckerman Ravine, so I knew exactly what to expect, where the ice was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's almost easier to run up the trail when there's snow because it just gets, it's an even surface. Yeah. You know, when it's all melted out like that and variable, it's really, it's way more technical. So my game plan was to just get on my trail shoes, throw on my backpack with my skis, and um, I had micro spikes in my vest, running vest pockets. So I knew that I just run, try to run, shuffle, hike. You know, it's not at that point you're not really running, but um, <laughs> and it, it's even you know more comical with skis on your back with boots in the bindings and. Anyways, right, I have well, my this pole. is another disadvantage that you have is that you have to run or hike up the trail with the ski stuff on your back, whereas Hannah didn't have to ski after the <laughs> hike, so she didn't have anything on her back. Yeah, yeah. It would be awesome if someone could have staged our ski stuff up there, but <laughs> that's not the case. So yeah, I have my poles in my hands and just I knew about a mile up, a little less than a mile, there would be some ice, and so then I put my micro spikes on and and then I was good to go. So that, you know, at that point I, I just wanted to be smart with the race. I was in the lead. Um, I'd passed, um, Chris Freeman and coming out of Jackson earlier before like the, the real climb into Pinkham. So I knew that if I pushed it too hard, I could probably start cramping up, but I just had to keep, keep, um, putting on the pressure and a good pace. So that was my goal and hydrate too. You know, it got really, really hot on the trail because it's so protected and mm. it was warming up later in the morning. So I drank about three quarters of a liter of um, water on that, on that hike up. Hannah also had a very depressing moment on her hike when she thought that she would be done at Hojo's and did not realize that the hike went all the way up to the bowl. And for for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, Tuckerman Ravine, Hojo's is maybe, I don't know, I guess it depends on how fast you hike up to the bowl, but it's probably another 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Another 500 vertical feet, too, and some really steep sections with, you know, stone stairs. Right. Um, you know, it's funny because... I was thinking the same thing because last year we stopped at Hojo's. Oh, you because, did? Okay. Because the weather, we, you know, the weather was so poor, it wasn't safe to go up to the bowl. Ah. Um, and I was thinking there was no way I could have kept going to the bowl, but that was a mental thing. Right. So if you go into the race knowing mentally that you have to go all the way to the bowl, it's not a big deal. But if you're thinking that you're stopping at Hojo's, that's demoralizing and I, that will stop you in your tracks <laughs> when people are saying, no, 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 keep going, keep going. <laughs> so I can only imagine how that was for her. Yeah. That reminds me of a conversation I had with an ultra runner a while ago, Darcy PQ, who said that, uh, 50 mile races are basically just as hard as the hundred mile races. And I was so shocked by that. Uh, but it has to do with your expectation going in and how hard you're pushing yourself based on what you think you have to do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, onto the ski leg, and the person who competed for us was my roommate, Max, Max Littlefield, and he happens to be home right now, so I figured he could just ask you his question himself. Give me a minute. Oh, 
wow, he was he was listening. <laughs> you creep. He was listening to our conversation from outside of my door, so I didn't even have to call him in. <laughs> Here, Max, hold on one minute, Andrew. It, it wasn't that creepy because our apartment's not that big, so it's pretty easy to listen almost anywhere. Sure, sure. <laughs> oh, so, um, hi, Andrew, roommate Max here. Uh, so I, I got to do the ski leg during the Tuckerman's Inferno, and luckily, skiing is the one sport of the five that I am competent at, but I, I was thinking, like, in your uh, race, like, you're good at all five, or at least way faster than me at all five and during your race do you ever think like well you know i might not be as fast as a paddler as the guy who's in front of me or right behind me in your case uh but i could catch him on the bike or on the ski like do you compensate with one of your events from a different event or do you just try to be as fast as you can for all five yeah that's interesting like you know when you think about pacing and um your mental status during the race, it really changes. Um, so for me, when, when Chris Freeman blew down the river, he's a much better kayaker than me. Um, I knew that he's a good biker, uh, incredible endurance athlete. So I was, I wasn't thinking that I would catch him really anywhere, but I also knew that he was hurting because we ran together and he was, he was, um, just, you could tell he was suffering. So in the back of my mind, I was thinking, yeah, that I, there's, I can catch him on the bike, you know, and hike. But, you know, the thing is like skiing's my bread and butter. That's my background. Um, you know, I alpine raced and I, I spend a ton of my time now in the winter skiing, but you know, the ski, the ski course is only what percent of the whole race. Like, you know, those two runs, you can only make up a couple minutes on someone, um, you know, maybe more if they're, they're a terrible skier or if they have a crash or something. So, um, yeah, I don't, I, I think I try to be, I try to go at a certain level the whole way and an even pressure. And I don't try to rely on my downhill abilities because, um, you can definitely get into trouble that way. If you're, if you're going too hard at the end, you're going to crash. Well, yeah, so. that's why my team picked me on the ski because they didn't want to, you know, rely on me to win the whole race for them. So they put me at the end. <laughs> well, no, I watched your run. Shout out to Parlor Skis. Um, it's really, it was fun to watch the people on Alpine Gear ski that course amazingly because it was, um, it was really difficult. You know, it was powder at the top three gates, then sheer ice, and then variable at the end. And um, yeah, I, I'm on. Um, ski mountaineering race skis and that i'm just surviving whereas you guys looked like you were having a blast I, I, i'd like to point out although you say you were surviving i'm pretty sure your time was faster than mine but that's just besides the point <laughs> well there was uh, there was there was no timing wand at the top that included the boot pack up so i had the lighter gear to run up but i didn't look that that great coming down really nice of you well thanks for uh talking to me <laughs> <laughs> thanks max <laughs> Max and I just had a very intimate moment where we uh, we listened to this with headphones, and uh, we had to like try to both listen to the headphones at the same time, so our faces were right next to each other. And I also I also said that he should have talked a little trash to you because 
you beat him only by a few seconds, and you had that light alpine setup. But then again, you also did a few things beforehand. I had to put my yeah, I had to put my boots on. Oh, that counts as part of the time. That's, that didn't help. Okay, very good. So, which uh, which leg did you find the easiest, and which leg did you find the hardest out of all of them? Yeah, the run is the easiest. Mm-hmm. Cause, Thanks. Um, <laughs> no, well, it's it's like the adrenaline's going you kind of, you settle in and, um, although that first climb is difficult, it goes by, pretty, yeah. it goes by quicker than you'd think. And then the rest is downhill and flat. So I think mentally you're kind of just getting comfortable with the day. You know, you're like, this is going to be a long morning. Let's just focus on the run and try to really break that whole race down. Um, the most difficult is it's a toss up between the bike and the hike. Um, I don't enjoy the kayak that much just because I'm not, I'm, I'm usually rushed in the transitions. I don't do everything correctly. Like this year I didn't, I didn't secure my, I didn't Velcro up the the skirt around my waist. So even though I had the skirt on and around the kayak, I had water coming down into the skirt. So, um, I kind of dread the kayak, the, you know, the bike is just a grueling, you know, kind of suffer fest the Mm -hmm. whole way. But, um, you know, the hike up is just as bad because now you have all the, um, that work you've already done, your legs are, your legs are spent and you're just survival mode. But you know, the saving grace in this whole event is that Washington, Mount Washington and the whole, the surrounding valleys is so gorgeous and you can see it the whole way. On one hand, that can be really intimidating seeing mm-hmm. Washington and you're kayaking on the Saco and you're being like, I need to get all the way up there. You know, you cover about 33, 35 miles this whole race. Um, and then, yeah, the the hike part is like you, you trying not to cramp up, you yeah. know. So, but yeah, those are the those are the um, easiest run, most difficult toss up between I think the bike and, and the hike, and obviously the the most my favorite, most enjoyable is the ski. Mm-hmm. Um, in your write up, you said a lot, at least it seems like a lot went wrong or, or just like little things can say, you say, I should have done this. I should have done that. What's your mindset while you're racing when something little goes wrong? You know, uh, not that big a deal. I didn't, okay. have, I didn't have anything major that really upset me. You know, it was just stupid. The kayak transition was just really bad for me. I left my skirt on the kayak overnight. So it froze. And so getting it on the next morning, at the transition was mm-hmm. just really frustrating. So I had a bad kayak transition last year. I thought I'd learn from it this year and I still made a bunch of little mistakes. Um, but that said, I made some great choices too. Like I didn't st- my bike transition was really fast and, um, I didn't need to put on a jacket or anything. And I'm glad I didn't. Um, I had a great, you know, hike and ski there. There's things that are great. It's really, but it's really important to point out the things that didn't go wrong so that, and make mm-hmm. note of it so that you don't repeat those things. Absolutely. I, I just a question. You live in the Northeast, um, and a lot of people that live a similar lifestyle as you live out West, Colorado, California. Uh, do you have some East Coast pride? Why do you live there? Yeah, I mean, I grew up here. This is mm-hmm. this is my hometown. Um, didn't really think I'd ever move back here. I was in San Diego for almost ten years, um, but when I moved back here, it was, you know, I had, I could have lived pretty much anywhere, but something drew me back into the white mountains. Um, you know, they're not, they're not as, um, 
not as big, not as technical or, you know, they're, they're, they're different than what you'd find out in, in the Rockies or, you know, out West, they're, but they're, they're equally as challenging. And, um, I don't know, there's something, there's something magical about our white mountains you can get up there. The weather can change on you. You can have some of the, the most amazing hikes. And it's, for me, it's just been reconnecting because as a, as a kid, I took this all for granted. I had mm. parents drive me around. I went to summer camp and spent all this time in the mountains here, but it wasn't really on my terms. And so now coming back and re-familiarizing myself with certain trails and hikes and, and, and with this other new perspective of this whole endurance boom of like how much land you can cover in a day, <laughs> you know, I used to think these hikes were so hard, but now it's like you can go and do these huge traverses, um, and, and yeah, to me, that's pretty much why I live out here. You said, uh, before we started talking that you have some upcoming summer projects and there was a big focus on this race, but now this, even though it's only a week and a half after the race, it's way behind you. What do you have coming up in the summer? Yeah, well, this summer I'm going to keep, keep on the road running. Um, I really want to just keep getting faster because, um, it's awesome to watch the times drop. The the I've got a couple little triathlons locally here that are fun, and um, I'm doing the Mount Washington Road Race again. Mm-hmm. I did that for the first time last year, um, so I got to go rep- represent the Clydesdales again, <laughs> and hopefully win that. You know, it's tough when you're going against all these um, small people that are just so fast. But <laughs> at the same time, I don't want to use that as a crutch because. You got guys like Justin Freeman, Chris Freeman that are, are bigger guys, 180 pounds plus, and, and they are just animals. So, yeah, I want to do really well at that. And then I have a gap. I have this long, you know, no races from mid-June to August. And this was something that I was actually kind of inspired by. I, I, I don't know who you were talking to on one of your podcasts, but the, the Deertisma, is that how oh, you yeah. say it? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually so, setting up time with her now. Uh, Arlette Lawn did the yeah. Deertisma. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's something that, um, is on my bucket list because, you know, doing the accomplishing, hiking all the 48, 4,000 footers in New Hampshire as a kid is a big deal and it takes a lot of time, but to, <laughs> to do it in one push would be, would just be incredible. So that's something that, um, is big enough a project that it's going to be really, would be really satisfying, but also short enough where it's not going to consume your whole summer say like the Appalachian trail, um, and recovering from that will be difficult, but it will also allow me to compete, um, in other events later in the, the fall. Like I'm, I still want to do, I did the, uh, Vermont 50 miler last year mm-hmm. and that was an amazing race. And that's something I want to do again. Um, and then beyond that, not quite sure. So <clears throat> when I heard that, uh, Deeratissima project, I, I mean, it just kind of like I heard it. It's like, wow, that's something really amazing. And then I forgot about it. <laughs> um, what what about hearing something like that? Say on the podcast, you hear that project. What what do you feel inside? How does that affect you? Why, why did you want to do that? Um, so last summer, I had the opportunity opportunity to crew uh, Scott Jurek through the White Mountains, mm. and being part of something like that was just incredible. And it made me think, it just really inspired me to find my own project or, or something to challenge myself. And, 
um, I was like, well, what better way to do the 48, 4,000 footers? Just, um, you know, I could do it supported, you know, actually one of the, one of the guys, um, one of his friends, Andrew Thompson was with us during, um, the section from Musilock through the Kinsman's. Um, and he's actually the record holder for the supported 48, which is like three days and 12 or 14 hours, which is insane, you know? And Andrew Thompson also won uh, the Barkley Marathons in 2009. Uh-huh. So he's an absolute beast. But I was picking it, you know, when I, was, I was hiking, talking to him, picking his brain about it. And I was like, well, the supported, unsupported would be great because you don't have to rely on anyone. You can just, you know, figure it out, do it on your own and, and make it your own project. So, um, yeah, I'm going to try to try to hopefully if there's good weather window, then I can do it. But at the same time, I realize exa- I, I, after spending time on uh, the AT, I know exactly how challenging it is, um, especially when you're carrying all your own gear and food and I eat a lot. So, yeah, I don't know. It's something that as the as uh, the summer gets closer, I'm, I'll start to pr- prepare for a little more. Very good. Well, we'll, we'll follow along, see if you uh, end up going for it. We get a gear recommendation from all of our Meisters. Uh, let's let's restrict it to the gear that you used in the pentathlon. Uh, what what piece of gear would you recommend? Oh, I like that. I guess you know one thing I did really like are were my gloves. Hmm. Um, I've used these running gloves all winter. You can get them from New Balance or Pearl Izumi. They're like the bright neon um, mitten covers. Hmm. So you can, they're wind resistant and then you tuck the mitten away when you don't need it. And they're running gloves, but I've used them skiing all winter too. And I had them on the tri bike and I had them on the run. Actually, I I think I had two pairs. So I left a pair of my handlebars when I hopped on the bike and I wore those all the way up skiing. Um, yeah, so that was it. Like, I can't, I can't say that like, I love my ski boots or I love those, you know, my skis I was on because those are like really, you know, race only skis. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I think that was, that's one thing that, that I found because keeping your hands warm is critical in a race like that because you do have these transitions where you need to be putting shoes on, putting boots on, um, taking things on and off, Mm -hmm. clipping stuff. So, right. Yeah. That's a weird, I I don't think you're probably expecting that. I like it. I I really like it. The gloves on Andrew's Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. One final question for you. And that is who would you like to hear next on this show? Um, all right. Well, I got two for you. Good. One would be, have to be Timmy O'Neill. Oh yeah. He, he was the guy responsible for getting me uh, connected with Scott um, he reached out to our local climbing community and somehow they all sought me out probably cause I wasn't working, but, um, I got to spend a ton of time with him on the trail and he is just your classic Renaissance man, amazing climber, whitewater kayaker, rafter, musician, mm-hmm. I don't know, writer, MC, he does it all. Um, just an incredible guy. So if you get a chance, I'm sure you could just, he could talk to you for hours, um, <laughs> And if you can't get some reason you can't get him, you got to get Fred, um, Mad Freddie Wilkinson, who lives up the road for me. He's also um, an accomplished climber, adventure writer, and just general badass. So great recommendations, both of whom I've we're, we're working on it. Both have accepted, but it's just a matter of finding time. So keep an ear out for Timmy O'Neill and Freddie Wilkinson 
on a future episode of Mountain Meister. You can read about the pentathlon and Andrew's experience. SkiTheWhites.com. We'll also have links to everything we talked about today on his Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. Thanks very much for joining us today. Great talking. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I really appreciate it. That was Andrew Drummond. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget that if you're looking for another podcast to add to your collection, check out the Sharp End podcast from the American Alpine Club. They take the stories and the lessons from accidents in North American mountaineering and put it in the form of a podcast. It's all hosted by Ashley Soppy. Just search The Sharp End wherever you listen to your podcasts. I have an exciting project coming up. A bunch of buddies from my hometown and I are going to Peru. We're hiking to Machu Picchu, and I'm going to record a podcast episode while I'm there. If you'd like to follow along real time, follow us on Instagram at Mountain Meister spelled out. I'll do my best to update it as frequently as possible, but stay tuned for the podcast as well. As usual, enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, Ben Shank, and you've been listening to Mountain Meister. Mountain Meister.